And before we dive in today, I, I just want to comment on that song, the line that that song jumped out at me. You silence the boast of sin and grave. Silence the boast of sin and grave. You realize what that's saying? It's saying that if, if you silence the boast of sin, that's silencing the boast of, of, of your, your mistakes or the things you do wrong, the things that you screw up. Silence the boast of that. Jesus, the cross of Christ silences the boast of that. Jesus silences that, says, no, I've covered you. I've got grace for you. I've paid that price for you. And silencing the boast of death, that you don't have to be afraid of dying anymore, that where you know where we're going. If we have hope in Jesus, you know that you'll go and be with him forever. That's powerful. If you don't have to be afraid of screwing up and you don't have to be afraid of dying, what else do you have to be afraid of? Right? That's everything. That's everything. And that's what we find in, in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news, that you don't have to be afraid of your mistakes. You don't have to be afraid of your own death. Or really the death of anybody else. And that leads us into this story because this is a story that we're going to get into today. We're going to start the story of Joseph. But the start of the story of Joseph is really about the, the life of Jacob and really the fatherhood of Jacob and the mistakes that he made. All of this is, is the result of bad fathering, bad fatherhood, right? Which is ironic that it's today is Father's Day. Um, but I realize that for, you know, hopefully for most of you, that's not your experience. But for some of you, it may be palliative a little bit that we are talking about a bad father today. Because you go, hey, I can identify with that. I didn't have a good father. Maybe that's your case. Not the case for me, but it may be the case for you. Or that you go, you know, yeah, my dad wasn't really around, and so Father's Day is rough, or, or I lost my father, and Father's Day is rough. Um, but again, if we are basing ourselves in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of those mistakes, even the mistakes that our, that our parents might make with us, and we don't have to be afraid of the fact that they may have passed on. We know that Jesus is in control of those things. Um, and for for those that, that, didn't ha- that had a bad father experience, I just want to put this out there, that, a, that a, a positive thing you can do on Father's Day is find God the Father standing in the place of where your father should have been. right? Showing the love that your father should have shown you, to, stepping into that role and really feeling him and allowing him to father you directly. right? And for those that did have good father experiences, saying like, hey, I can see things that are about God, I, I saw some of those things in my own father. That's the case for me, where I would say that I saw God's loving kindness, his steadfast, loyal love represented in, in the way that my father has loved me. Um, and, and maybe you can see that too. You can go, hey, I can see where God's love shone through my own father. And that's a good way of both honoring your father and glorifying God, your father. But like I said, today we're going to get into some mistakes, some, the results of some bad fathering, because Jacob was not the best father, and we're going to get into that today. Genesis chapter 37, we have to start out Joseph and his brothers, part one. Joseph and his brothers, part one, Genesis 37. Start off with the dreamer. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his father's, of his old age. And he had made him a robe of many colors. 
And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall, shall, I, send, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right. So, the first question we might ask is, so clearly his brothers hate him. Let's break down exactly why they hated him. They hated him for some very specific reasons. First of all, Jacob made it obvious that Joseph was his favorite. Big mistake, right? Big, big, big mistake that has terrible consequences. This is where we get into. That's not the way the father should behave towards his children. No one should ever know who, who the father's favorite is. He really shouldn't have a favorite. But if he does, he should definitely keep that quiet. Or definitely not let that be known. But he was clear. It was well known. Number two, Joseph was a tattletale. Right? We have this story of, he says he's a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. It's likely that they kind of took over as surrogate mothers for him. Right? His mother had died in childbirth with his brother Benjamin. And it's likely that these wives, being especially that they were um, the servant wives, that they kind of took over care of him. They were the primary stepmothers for him. Um, and then there's some incident where he comes and, and gives a bad report about them. And really, that, that, uh, the word that's used there for report is, in every other, in, I think every other instance in Scripture, is used for an untrue report or a false report. So it's not like he's being, you know, reliable. That's something we talk about in, in, with my kids is, uh, is this tattletaling or is this um, responsible reporting? That's, that's my wife's phrase. Um, but, but that's the thing. It's not like he's, you know, just it, this is something that needs to be known or something dangerous. He's tattletaling, right? He's just purely uh, being a tattletale, being a little brat. And, and they hate him, right? Because no one likes that kid. That's, just, that's historically, uh, no one likes that kid. Number three, that, that Jacob made him this special coat. Uh, and there's some debate about whether it was actually like this multicolor thing or the translation's kind of funky. But it's some very special, fancy coat that was better than anything else his brothers had. It just kind of reaffirmed, this is my favorite son, right? It was a nail in the coffin of, in case you, you weren't clear that he was my favorite, I'm going to give him a special coat that nobody else has. He's the special one. There are also some suggestions that it might have even indicated that he was the heir, the primary heir um, to his father. And so it just all around bad news. And then lastly, Joseph's just not very wise in dealing with his brothers. Right? He's not very wise in, in how he, he has these dreams. And he tells them. Why? Like, isn't it obvious that it would be a bad idea to share these dreams? Where he has this dream of the sheaves, where they're bowing down to his sheaf, and it's like, why would you tell them that? 
You can probably already, you, you can imagine that he already knew they didn't like him. They already had this bitterness against him. And now he's like, hey guys, guess what? I had a dream in which you all bowed down to me. Metaphorically. That's not good. That's not smart. And another, you know, with the, with the moon, the sun and moon and the stars, so even his, his, his parents are bowing down to them. Um, you know, we might ask, like, did he not understand what these dreams implied? Or was his ego so inflated that he didn't care? Right? And I think that's kind of more like, I think that's kind of what this is, is implying, is that um, even though he's the second youngest of his siblings, he had the, fa- the, the favor of his father. He was bu- pumped up as the, as the favorite son. Um, and, and he gets an ego to go with it. It's very hard for a kid if you're kind of raised in, and put out there like you're the favorite, you know, you're the best. You're, you know, look at you and look at you. Know, here's your special, you know, coat and all that, that, that he wouldn't also have this inflated ego to go along with it. Uh, it, it seems as though he's fairly proud, um, but he will be humbled through the events that follow. All right, next section, human trafficking, verses 12 through 28. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. He found a man, and, he, and, and, and a man found him water, wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver they took Joseph to Egypt. Okay, so this starts off with a, a kind of a welfare check, right? He, Jacob's going like, hey, they're up there pasturing the flocks near Shechem. Um, that obviously would give him cause to worry. They give Jacob cause to worry. If you remember, in the incident with Dinah, uh, Levi and Simeon killed all those guys. Killed them all, Right? Mass- massacre. 
And so if there's anybody else hanging around who remembers them, who was like out of town for the day or something like that, and come back and find everybody slaughtered and all these kind of things, they might not be, they might be in danger if they go back there, right? They're, they're neighbors and that kind of thing that might want to go, hey, you, aren't you the guys who, who massacred an entire clan of people? And might want to take them out. And so, so Jacob's like, hey, let's go check on them because this is a dangerous situation that they're in. They're, this is a dangerous place that they decided to go and pasture these flocks. Um, and so he sends Joseph to check on them. And that's a 50 miles journey, right? 50 miles from Hebron where they're at to Shechem. It take about five days, five days for him to get there. So that's a big journey, long journey. Um, and God protects Joseph. You know, he's wandering around in Shechem in his fancy coat, uh, kind of a big target. And everybody came and talked to him, like, who's your, who's your family? Again, he's in this dangerous neighborhood for them. Um, and so he gives him this guidance, this guy who's going to send him on his way. Some people have questioned, is that an angel? Or is that, you know, maybe is that some kind of supernatural thing? I don't think it necessarily needs to be. It can be still sent from God or, or a coincidence that God kind of put together to send him on his way and protect him, giving him that guidance. And he goes to Dothan, which is, again, 14 more miles north, another day and a half or so uh, of travel. And so he's, he's going up there. They see him approaching. Again, he's distinctive. They, they know, his, they know, you know his gait and everything, but they also wear a fancy coat. So they can see him coming, and they say this, here comes this dreamer. Um, and it's important, that, you know, because of this, keep the, keeping this in mind, that they're like a week's journey away from home at this point, that, uh, you know, they're outside of Jacob's protection and influence, right? He can't protect Joseph here. They know that this is so far away that whatever they do, they're probably not going to get caught. And so all of this that is built up, you know, now they're going to conspire to kill him. But they're talking about killing him. And, and again, looking at the influence that Jacob had, if your kids at any point are conspiring to actually murder one another as adults, you messed up as a father. Like, that's not a good sign in terms of how you raised your family. And that's what's happening, right? Only Reuben intervenes. He's like, oh, hold on, let's not do this. Um, and you can kind of, again, imagine that Le- Levi and Simeon, um, they probably kind of led the charge because they, they've already killed a whole clan of people. They're the ones that, that did the massacre at Chechem. And, and so they're, you know, and they just went, they were just by there. So they may have been kind of stirred up like, you know, oh yeah, remember when we did that? Awesome, yeah, that was great. Oh, now here comes Joseph. Let's kill him. Right? They're kind of stirred up, kind of amped from that. And, and so... Reuben intervenes, like, hold on, let's not kill him just yet. But they, they definitely viciously attack him. Right? They strip him of his coat, which that word that's used there, that Hebrew word is used there, is the same thing that's used for like, skinning an animal. Right? So they strip him of, it, of his coat, beat him, throw him in this pit. Um, and then, probably the most chilling line of the whole thing, that they sat down to eat, right? They sat down to eat. They had lunch after they attacked and beat their brother and threw him in a pit. And the thing that's, that's especially dark about that is it's probably, they're probably eating food that Joseph brought. Remember, he went to check on them. So he would have brought supplies and everything. Like, he probably brought food. So they, like, they beat him up and they throw him in this pit and then they're like, 
hey, he brought lunch. Awesome. Let's sit down and eat. And he's like probably yelling up at them from the pit. Like, that's a dark moment. That's a dark, dark moment. And so then they, they get sold. He, he's going to get sold into slavery. And Judah's the one that has the idea. He steps in to suggest, hey, let's sell him into slavery. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, Reuben and Judah are the only ones who have refrained from killing. They're the oldest four. They're the oldest four. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. They're the oldest four, and they're Leah's sons. Um, and so they all, have, they all have cause to be bitter. Right, because they are the eldest sons of the first wife, uh, but they're treated as second-class citizens in this family. And so they all have reason to be bitter. Um, Levi and Simeon, that's why they go on that killing rampage uh, for Dinah, because J- Jacob's not going to do anything about it. He's not going to avenge her. He's not going to intervene. And so they feel like they have to take matters into their own hands. And then Reuben, if we remember from last week, he's, he slept with his stepmom Bilhah. He slept with her to kind of prevent her from becoming the next favorite wife after Rachel died. And so they all have problems. Judah is really the only one here who's, whose hands are clean. And he steps in and, and, and says, like, hey, let's not kill him. And, and so perhaps that's why Judah ends up being the one through whom King David and ultimately King Jesus come. Right? That ends up being the line that Jesus comes through is Judah's line Perhaps because he, at this point, hasn't done anything terrible. Hold for next week. Um, okay. The other thing, the, the, just to point out, this is an aside kind of thing. Um, uh, he sells them to, remember, he says, Ishmaelites and Midianites. And if you remember um, who Ishmael is, Ishmael is Isaac's brother, Abraham's son that he had with Hagar. Um, so he, he is, is related to the family in that way. Um, anybody remember who Midian is? It's not the, it's not the average of numbers. Midian, no, that's not what that is. Um, no, he is also one of Abraham's sons. It's easy to forget that he had Ishmael and then Isaac, and then after Sarah died, he married Keturah and had seven sons. You don't think of Abraham as having nine sons, but he did. And so Midian is one of those. So these are the Midianites. So again, they're, they're in this, in this, they're not the chosen people. They're not through the line uh, that God has chosen, but they're related. And so they're, they're these traitors that are coming through. And it's just kind of interesting to kind of know, okay, that's where these guys are coming in again. These are the offspring, uh, offspring of Abraham as well. Um, and they're going to be the ones that buy him, take him into slavery. Here's something that, that I, I think is vitally important to think about in this story, is that why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God stop this from happening? Because it's unimaginably horrific for Joseph, right? It's a horrific, horrific moment for Joseph, right? He's traveled over 60 miles, 64 miles to reach his brothers, to check on them. He's going to help them. He's going to check on them. And the minute he gets there, they beat him, strip him, throw him in a pit, and then ultimately sell him. Right? He starts the day wearing this fancy coat, like, I'm going to go check on my brothers, and he's been traveling for days, like, looking for him. Where are you guys? All right, let's check it out. And he ends the day on a, on a cart headed for Egypt to be a slave, to be sold into slavery by his own brothers. 
And for, if we didn't have the hindsight of Scripture, right, everyone, every, you're all going, well, no, but get, that God's just part of God's plan. Right? God had a plan for this. That's why he didn't stop it, because there's a plan. He goes to Egypt. If you've read it already, if you've read through Genesis, you go, oh, I know he goes to Egypt, and he becomes like this super powerful guy, and then he's able to save them because they come and they get the food, and that's how the, you know, God had a plan for this. There's a reason this had to happen. But no, it didn't. Didn't have to happen that way. Right? Didn't have to happen that way. Right? Again, this could have happened differently. God could have miraculously saved them. Right? You go, okay, well, the, how else would they have gotten through the famine if they didn't go down to Egypt? Well, God could have miraculously made, made Israel to be this oasis in the desert where they're the only ones that are getting rain, they're the only ones that can grow crops, and everybody has to come to them, and so they make it through that way. They, they powerful right there because God gives them miraculous provision in the midst of a, of a famine. The only, here's the reason that I bring that up. is because you read stories like this in Scripture, and you, and you can go, okay, well, I can see God had this plan, and so this terrible thing happened to, J- to Joseph. He's in this moment, because this is not even close to over for him, right? And, and I get people that come to me all the time and go like, well, God has promised in the Bible that he will heal me, that he'll rescue me, that he has good plans for me, that he's going to give me good things, that he, he, he doesn't want me to suffer, he doesn't want me to have problems, he doesn't want me to hurt, And so God must, he must save me. He must heal me. He must change my circumstances. And and they go, well, and if it's not happening, then I must be doing something wrong or like I need more people to pray or we need special people to pray and powerful words. Like they need to do it in some magic way that makes it so that God will do it. We have to figure out the, the formula to get God to do the thing that I want to do. And that's kind of funny, but it's not a joke. Like that actually happens. I've had many conversations like this. And people have this idea of, well, God, God has to. He's promised, in, they go, he's promised in Scripture that He's going to heal, that He's the healer, and so He's going to heal me. Not all the time, though. That's what I'm here to say. No, not all the time. Oftentimes, He's going to leave you there. He left Joseph there. Joseph is bound for you. Like, if he was in, 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 in the way that, that often I hear people talk, Joseph would be on that cart going, well, God's got to save me. He's got to get me back to my dad. He's got to get me back to my family. Like, why would he make me go and, be a, go and suffer like this? And if you even came to him and said, well, here's, no, here's the thing. You're going to go there. You're going to spend basically your whole life there. And you're going to suffer and you're going to be imprisoned and you're going to have all these things, but you're going to get raised to power and then you're going to get, you're going to, get to uh, save the guys that just did this to you. Do you think he'd be like, yay? No. No, he wouldn't. He would go, no, God's got to save me. He can't leave me here. But guess what? He's going to leave him there. 100%. Not that he's going to leave him, but he's going to leave him there. He's, he's going to stay in this position. And sometimes that's where God leaves us. Sometimes I know that it sucks. I know that it's hard to live with things that you don't want to live with and live in conditions that you don't want to be in. But sometimes he leaves you there and sometimes it's not a miracle that's going to save you. I'm not saying God never does miracles by any means. I'm not saying that he certainly does. He works in miraculous ways. He does miracles even to this day. But not most of the time. 
Most of the time, he's not going to do a miracle for you. You know why? That's why we call them miracles. Because they're rare. And if we look at history, if we look at history, most of the time it seems that God seems to prefer to work through ordinary human means. That's what he's using here. Right? He's got to rescue them from this famine that's coming, which, by the way, he could have prevented in the first place. Right? Again, we, just because it's written down in its history doesn't mean we can't question it. He, could, he didn't have to have a famine happen. But he did. He let it happen anyway. And then he uses ordinary human means to get it there. To, to, get, to get his people through it. To save the people. He uses Joseph and these ordinary terrible situations. Right? Again, it's because it's, it's just written in black and white and very simple. Like, And he went down to Egypt. But it, put yourself in Joseph's position. This is a terrible thing. Terrible day. He's probably hurting. He's probably physically been beaten up. These guys aren't going to treat him well. They're going to treat him just well enough to get a good price for him when he gets there. And so it's the thing that's, that's powerful about this, though, that's powerful about the fact that most of the time God chooses to work through ordinary human means is that it means he can use you. It means he can use me and you. It's amazing to think that God prefers to use you and the gifts that he's given you and the abilities that he's given you and the love that he's given you to change the world. He prefers to use you. He prefers to use you just how you are. He, that he prefers that like the person that you need to be praying for, he might also want you to actually do something in their life. He's not just going to make it ma- you know, magically make it all better. He might actually need you to like go and care for them, to actually step in and intervene in their life and, and be there for them and help them and help carry their burdens. That he's not going to just boot poof, make it all better. He might actually use you to relieve some of that pain. He might actually use you to be there for somebody. He might actually use people in each other's lives. That's what I think is powerful about like having our prayer teams, having our community groups, people that we're actually like interacting with. Like that's not just for this case of just praying for them so that some so that a miracle will happen, but actually like saying, Yeah, I care about you and actually caring for that person and interacting with them and go, okay, well how can I help you through this situation? How can I help carry your burdens? Not just pray that God will do it, but I can actually do it. He's actually guess what? He's living in me. He's living in you, and he wants to use us to, make, to, to help solve these things. To be in it. Just like he's going to use Joseph in this situation. But it's important that we recognize that sometimes God leaves us in a situation. For, this is for life. This is Joseph's going to be whole life. He's, he's going. And God's going to cause him to flourish there. He's not going to have a, a terrible time there for his whole life, but He's going to have a lot of years here where that are not good at all. And, and even then, he's still not going to get back to, he's never going to go back home. Never. Never going back home. All right. Lastly, a father's mourning. Verses 29 through 36. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and where shall I go? 
Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. All right. First, I want to look at Reuben here. Like, what do we make of Reuben? Interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. He's the oldest son. Um, remember, he had abstained from. He had kind of. He had not not murdered the Shechemites. He would kind of put, took himself out of there. Even though at that point, he, like, he's the he's the firstborn son. He's the eldest. Like he would typically be leading the charge of whatever they were going to do. But he had kind of stepped out of that role. He had not not participated in that. But then he had he had done this thing where he slept with his stepmother icky for sure, wrong for sure. Um, but again, it's, it, he did it presumably out of good motives to defend his own mother's honor. It's a weird thing to do, but like a weird way to make that happen, but he's trying to kind of p- protect his, his mother's position in the family. Um, he, had, he had rescued Joseph from his brothers despite the fact that he had the best reason to be offended by his father's preference for him. Right? He, he has the biggest reason to be offended He's the firstborn son. He should, if anyone should be the favorite, it should be him. And yet, he, he is the one who's counseling against murder and counseling against these things. Um, and so, and, and, yet, and now he, you know, he gets them to throw him in the pit, but then he's gone when they make this whole deal and plan to sell him into slavery. And so he comes back, Presumably, again, to rescue him. Presumably, he like, he's like, hey, throw him in this pit. We're going to go away. And then he's going like, to come back later by himself and try to rescue Joseph and get him go back home, run back home kind of thing. Um, so he comes back. He sees that he's devastated. He doesn't know what has happened. Um, and, and he's going to like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to be the one that dad's going to blame. He's in, he's, he's in distress over this thing. Um, and so, <coughs> you know, presumably, he, it's possible here that he never knew that, that they sold him into slavery. It's possible that he thinks he really was killed in, by, some, by some animal or something like that. And so Jacob and, and Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, and Benjamin, who's still back home, they, they think that Joseph's actually dead. They think that this is real. Um, and, and so we look at Reuben, we go like, it seems like he had a, a good heart, like he wanted to do the right thing, um, but he just was foolish and unsuccessful, right? He tried to do the right, he kind of tried to push in the right direction, but he just didn't, never quite get it right. Um, the second thing I want to look at here is, is asking the question of like, did getting rid of Joseph solve their problem? When we look at these brothers, they, they presumably they hate Joseph, they want to get rid of him. They don't like that he's dad's favorite. But it didn't really get rid of their problem, right? Because it, it, it was, they're left with this reminder that Jacob is going to mourn for Joseph for the rest of his life. He's like, I'm going to mourn till the day I die over Joseph. 
Right? He's like, I'm going to go down to the, my grave mourning for Joseph every day. He's like, nobody can comfort me. And so they're going to be reminded by his favoritism just as much in death as, he, as they, they were in life. Right now, dad is, is depressed all the time, is constantly mourning Joseph, never going to forget him. And so he's dominating Joseph's heart, Jacob's heart, just as much in death as he did in life. So he said, revenge is not satisfying to them. Right? And that's true, that's true for us. That's true in general, that revenge isn't satisfying. And, and that's why God counsels us against it. Look at Romans 12, verse 19. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're saying God will be the one that will avenge. God will be the one that will, that will mer- merit out justice. Last thing we want to look at here is that the root cause of all of this, like we said in the beginning, is, is Jacob's favoritism. Right? That's what kicks it all off. Right? Yes, Joseph himself made some mistakes. He, he made some offenses and that kind of thing. But again, a lot of that is probably because of the way that Jacob treated him, because of the favoritism that he had given him. <coughs> and so he, he played this favorites, and it led to all this animosity. Right, and you see guys like Reuben are desperately fighting for his father's affection and fighting to protect his mother's heart, fighting to protect him. He's again, that's all of that, even that situation that, that Reuben did try to protect his mom, like that also is from is from this favoritism. You see Sim, Simeon and Levi, like we saw with Dinah, they grew this vengeful and angry um, and and ultimately murderous and and because of of Jacob's favoritism and neglect of his uh, of of Leah and her children. And you see Judah, again, he's also dealing with it. Um, and and he's the peacemaker. He's trying to 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 get everybody to agree, trying to he, you know, that's why he's when they're selling him, he's like, it's better that we sell him. We're gonna get something out of it. He's he's trying to relate to them, trying to make peace, trying to bring everybody together. Um, not just saying, hey, this is wrong, but trying to like, make a deal. Going, hey, you guys, we can get something out of this. <clears throat> and we also see that Jacob repeatedly refusing to intervene in family conflicts. He's not going to intervene in these things. He's not going to um, he's not gonna solve the problem. He's not going to step in and say, okay, let me figure this out. Let me help you guys. Let me you know, judge the situation and and lay it all out. He's not, he's not really an exemplary father or husband. And it, ca- it has these ripple effects. What we do, the way that we treat people, has ripple effects. So we'll, we'll end up here with how should we then live. I have three things for you. Consider how your favoritisms impact those around you. But that can be true as fathers, it can be true as mothers, it can be true even as siblings. Uh, as friends, right? How does the way we treat the people around us, the favoritisms we might have, uh, especially over those that look up to us, how does that impact? Them? Are, are, we, are we making that known? Are we having favoritisms? How good a job are we doing at loving people equally that we have influence over? Secondly, recognize that God wants to work in and through you to accomplish extraordinary things. Right in and through you, wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, the situations that you don't want to be in, places you don't want to be in, 
physical conditions you don't want to be in, heart places you don't want to be in, emotional places that you don't want to be in, that even in that place, God wants to use you. But that's true for Joseph. He's going off like this. God wants to use him. We're going to see big time how God uses him as he takes him down to Egypt. Not where Joseph wants to be. Not in the way that he wanted to do it. You know, he, he'd probably, again, if God came to him and said, no, but I need you to go down here. Here's why. He'd probably go like, you could have asked. You could have asked me to go. You know, it, it, this is a difficult way for them to get to where God wants them to be. And, and yet God is going to work in it and through it and that same is true for us he wants to use you exactly where you are exactly the condition you're in he wants to use you however you are then lastly uh not to seek revenge but to trust that god will avenge you or to trust in that love and kindness trust in that he has taken away taken away the the fear of death and sin Right? He has taken that away and he has given in its place grace and peace and love and hope that you can find that in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now that's the number one thing we need for all of these things is to say, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your spirit to empower me, to live through me. If you've never done that before, I encourage you to do that today. If you've never accepted the grace of Jesus Christ on his cross, that his death for yours and that his spirit to dwell inside you to give you eternal life, to give you the ability to live this life. I encourage you to do that today if you've never done that before. We're going to have our prayer team up here afterwards. They'd love to pray with you about any of these things. They'd love to plug you in to, to people if you need help with something. Like, that's what we're, we're here to bear one another's burdens. We're here to love, on, love one another. Right? We want to love one another well. We want to bear one another's burdens to actually help one another. And so if you're somebody that needs, if you're like, hey, I need help, you got to let it be known because that's why we're all here. We want to be used for God. We want to show uh, one another the love that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us to uh, gather together to worship you, to hear from your word, God, and to, to honor our fathers. God, we just thank you for each of them. Thank you for the ways that they show us who you are. And we pray that as uh, we celebrate them today, that we would be glorifying to you, that we would uh, lift, you, lift you up, and that all that we do in this coming week, God, that we would seek to be serving you. We would seek to follow you, seek to give our lives over to you, to trust you. We lift all these things up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.